You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Elizabeth Willard-Thames, and you are listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. Strength and vulnerability. I cry a lot. Embarrassingly. A perfect example is the other night my family and I were watching Glee on Netflix, and yes, we have started watching old series on Netflix with our shelter in place going on at the moment. And we came to a particularly poignant point of the episode and my eyes started to cloud up and my daughter looked up at me and said, dad, you're crying. And I realized this happens to me a lot. If I see a Hallmark commercial, if I'm watching a sad movie, especially if I read my own writing and I struggle with this contradiction a little bit because I've always seen myself as what I would call a strong man, a wage earner, a spouse, a parent, a doctor. Trying to reconcile these views of myself has been difficult. Why do I break into tears at the easiest drop of a dime and yet I can walk into a patient's room and tell a family that they're dying and do that without batting an eye? As I've gotten older, I've come to realize that maybe they are just different sides of the same coin. Maybe, just maybe, in me, I can be both. Liz Thames is the prolific author behind the ever-popular blog Frugal Woods, where she writes about frugality, homesteading, parenting, and life. Her book, Meet the Frugal Woods, Achieving Financial Independence Through Simple Living, continues to be a must-read whether you're interested in personal finance or not. I personally became a fan years ago, even though as a doctor, I've always concerned myself with top line more than frugality. I prefer cities to a 66-acre homestead any day. Yet Liz's writing demonstrates something that I connect with deeply, the ability to be both strong and vulnerable at the same time. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. And these are strange times for us. I know just six months ago, who could believe we'd be in the midst of a pandemic, a global recession, and that everything would feel like it's changed. Mm -hmm. It's actually striking the difference. I was noticing in your blog that it is Uber Frugal Week. Tell me about why you decided to do that this week. Sure. So the Uber Frugal Week is really a response to the pandemic. I realized that I was getting this flood of questions from readers about what to do. You know, what, what do we do when we can't work or we're working from home or we've been laid off or 
we fear we might be laid off. And so I coalesced my ideas as best I could and created this series, which is on the blog. It's free. Anyone can access it. It's similar to my Uber Frugal Month series, which is an email series, also free, but it's very specifically pandemic focused. And so each day tries to address a different element of what we're grappling with in the pandemic. And what I'm really trying to do is tailor the information to sort of touch the people who are in these different categories. So people who are still working, people who are laid off, or people who fear they might be laid off. And as we barrel towards this recession slash potentially depression, you know, I'm, I'm really sort of trying to encourage people not to think about the worst case scenario, but, but truly to recognize that a lot of careers that we had assumed were recession proof are not necessarily so, particularly when you are coupled with a health crisis like this. So really trying to help people think holistically about the money they're making, how they can diversify their income streams to the extent that's possible when you're stuck at home, how to save more every month. That's kind of my, my hallmark, my, what I always love to talk about. And then talking also about the relief and forbearance programs that are available now. So things that are available through state and local government and helping people understand what benefits they might now be eligible for, because this is a new world. Most people have never had to file for unemployment insurance, but we now have record numbers of people who are doing so. And so my goal with this series is to really just take us through the unique circumstance that we find us in. And some of what I'm doing is just compiling information from external sources, and some of it are my own ideas on saving money. And so it's called an Uber Frugal Week, but because there's a pandemic and there's no school and there's no daycare, it is going to take me probably a month to do all of the posts in the series. Originally, it was five posts, then it was nine. Now I think I've got it down to maybe eight posts. I've written four so far. And so well, hopefully they will. I'm writing as fast as I can. But you know, my children really love to like run in and see what I'm doing and that it's not very easy to write about money when you have a four-year-old and a two-year-old in your lap. So it's coming as quickly as it can. For most of us, this is anything but business as usual. Tell me how your sense of your listeners and readers' mood is. How are people handling this? I think a lot of people are afraid. I think there is so much unknown with this, you know, and we really have this double crisis because we have the health crisis. So we have the fear that we might get sick or our family might get sick. And then we have a very real financial concern. And I think it's very discomfitting to try and hold those two ideas at once. And I think we can see through national and local leadership that our leaders are struggling with this as well, because on one hand, you can potentially slow the spread of a virus, but you're going to dampen the economy. And so it's trying to balance this within yourself, I think, is a big challenge. What I hear from a lot of people very on an uplifting note is that they are very grateful that they have always saved more money than they needed to. I have always said no one regrets saving more money than they think they need. You know, I don't think anyone sort of comes at the end of a year and says, oh, darn, I saved, you know, $10,000 more than I thought I should. And so I think there are a lot of people who are really taking comfort in the fact that they've been living frugally, living simply for many years. 
people have paid off debts, people have built up emergency funds. So I think the folks in those positions are feeling very good about those decisions. And I think that it's a wake up call for people who maybe had not prioritized this in the past. And so my goal is to meet readers exactly where they are and figure out, okay, what can you do now? Right. Given these circumstances, forget regret, you know, forget, don't blame yourself for what you did in the past. Let's just move forward from exactly where you are right now. And I think that having that wake up call around your money, while ideally it would not be because of a pandemic and a recession, I think we can all take lessons from this and see that the unexpected really can happen. You know, and for years I've been saying like, you never know what's going to happen. And people are like, oh, but the economy is great. I'm like, well, it's great right now. And so I, I think that this probably illuminates for a lot of folks really the importance of, of being in charge of your money and of knowing where, where everything is and of feeling empowered. Because I think it's that powerlessness that is so hard for a lot of us right now. There's very little you can do. And so helping people see what you can do with your money right now is really my focus. And I've been soliciting suggestions and questions from readers because I want to know what people are thinking because everyone's experience is so unique. And that's always true. But even more so now, you know, I, some of us who have little kids, we feel overwhelmed and chaotic and exhausted. And then my friends who maybe are empty nesters or who are single or living alone, they feel lonely. They crave that human connection. Whereas I'm like, could you children please not both be on me at the same time? Could you take turns climbing up me? And so I think it's, you know, recognizing how differently we all experience this is, is really important to me in trying to be of service. Let's talk about how you experience this a little bit. You had mentioned before that most of us didn't see this coming. And in a lot of ways, it feels like there's only so much we can do. Do you yourself feel more vulnerable because of what's going on? And having a platform as you do, is it hard to express that? I think that over the years, I have sort of gotten better at being vulnerable. You know, back to what you were saying at the outset, that when I first started writing Frugal Woods, please don't read the early posts. They're just so bad. Like the writing is atrocious. Like I didn't know what I was doing. There's like no thesis. It's just, it's terrible. But you know, what I think I have realized is that I don't have all the answers and I don't need to have all the answers. And furthermore, I changed my mind. I changed my opinions over the years. You know, when I started writing Frugal Woods, I lived in the city and I had no kids. Now I live in the country and I have two kids, you know, so that alone is enough to alter your trajectory. And I've written before that, you know, if you're not willing to change and grow and adapt and evolve, you're not really a true adult, right? It's not as though you sort of reach 18 and then are finished maturing. I really see it as this lifelong journey of figuring out how I can best help people and how I can best help myself. And so I am much more comfortable with sort of expressing my vulnerability now than I was, say, five or six years ago when I started this journey. Because at that time, I felt like I needed to really provide and spoon feed all the answers. And what I've learned is that it's much more about asking people, well, what do you think? How is that working for you? You know, why do you have fear around this part of your finances? So I think I've sort of, it's interesting for me to grow along 
with my readers and to grow along with my children and my husband. You know, I, this, I see it as this whole interconnected system of evolving as a person. So I think it's a, it's an interesting journey to be on. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of growth and evolution. I know when I got started with personal finances and discovered financial independence, I wrongly believed that being financially savvy was the answer to most of my problems. So let's go back a few years in your life. Think about what are some of the problems you've had that finances haven't solved? So many problems. And I think you you really encapsulated it because I come across a lot of people who are like, well, when I pay down this debt, my life will be perfect. Or when I'm financially independent, my life will be perfect. And I think that there's a tendency for a lot of us to really want to put this stuff in a spreadsheet, do the math, figure out the numbers, and then say, aha, okay, that's when I will have arrived. That's when I can relax into my life and enjoy it and recognizing that that doesn't exist in this life. You know, you're you're never going to arrive. The goalposts will constantly be moving and changing. And so I think the more that I can sink into that, really the happier I am. And I think the biggest wake up call for me was my postpartum depression. That is something that cannot be solved by money. You know, that is something that cannot be solved by a spreadsheet or organization or efficiency or having a really good schedule and routine for your kids because that's what we did and that's what I thought would deliver me from what was ultimately just a mental health issue, not something that that I could solve on my own. And there's such a tendency, I think, for a lot of us who are involved in financial independence to think that we can do it ourselves. We can figure it out. We can do it alone. And so being diagnosed with postpartum depression was such a very clear wake-up call of my vulnerability and of my need for other people. In September 2018, you wrote about having postpartum depression. The blog post got over 400 comments, and I want to read a little passage from that blog You write, this spiral of disquiet mounted with each passing week after Littlewood's birth. My addled brain short-circuited into a continuous loop of panic. When I managed to lift my head out of the fog, I felt like I was enveloped in. I could see my life for what it was. Perfect. I had a loving husband, two healthy kids, the home of my dreams, and the career I'd always wanted. But I couldn't hold on to this intellectual understanding of my life. Was it hard to write those words? It actually was not because that was several months removed. So something I've realized as a writer over the years is that I need a little bit of time to process. So that was written in September. I was diagnosed with postpartum depression in, I think, June and started taking medication in probably July. And so I had had a couple months of therapy and medication. And so I was really able to be introspective. So what I've found for myself as someone who, you know, really thinks through my life through my writing. I need a couple months to process, but I don't need a year. If I wait a year, I have really lost the essence of the feeling. It is very hard for me to do a retrospective on how I felt a year ago. It just does not work. It comes out as a cliche. I can't remember. You know, I can't remember what it felt like to hold a newborn, for example. So I had to write about it at the time. And so that's kind of my 
sort of writing advice to anyone who wants to reflect on personal experiences, figure out how long you need to, to process it so that it's not painful to write about, but you need to be close enough to the experience that what you write is genuine. So at that point in September, I was feeling just like a completely different person, feeling so much better. And so writing it was cathartic. At the same time, I woke up in like a panic the morning that it published because I, I set all my stuff to auto publish like at 4am or something. And so of course I'm not up then ideally. And I remember waking up and thinking like, looking at the clock, like, Oh my God, has it published yet? Like, can I go back and like turn off the, the auto publish feature? Because I can't put this out there. I was really scared. So it wasn't so much the writing it, it was then thinking about it being public. But as soon as it was published, I got this flood of comments and emails and messages with things that were heartbreaking and encouraging. So I had quite a few women say, I'm printing this off and taking it to my doctor because I can't explain this, but you've articulated it. So I'm just going to hand this to my doctor because I can't say it. And I've highlighted passages, you know, and I thought, oh, wow, that's profound. Then I had people say, you know, I wish I'd had this a year ago before I had a divorce and all of these things happened because of postpartum depression. And so I think shining a light on this really became a mission for me because I am someone who never thought that I would have a mental health issue. If you told me I'd be taking an SSRI 10 years ago, I'd say, you absolutely not. I am extremely successful and put together. I would never, you know, and so it's, I think seeing within myself how very badly I need this medication and therapy hopefully gives other people kind of a window into what these symptoms are, that what they're feeling is not their fault, and that there really is hope and that you really can live a very fulfilling life and you can actually enjoy your children. That was such a revelation for me. You said it yourself in the post, my life was perfect. Let's go back to that moment where auto-publish was set and yet you hadn't got a first comment back yet. Were you afraid that there would be a backlash or that maybe showing your vulnerability would have the opposite and unintended consequence of pushing people away from you? Yes, I think all of that. I was afraid that people would think it was sort of too much information to share, kind of like, we don't, we don't want to know about this part of your life. Please go back to talking about index funds. You know, we, we don't, this is too raw, too painful, too personal. You know, please just write about 401ks again. And so that, that was really my concern. And I think what I learned from that post is that people read this type of writing because they're looking for a human connection. You know, they can use Wikipedia, they can use Google to find the answers to what an index fund is, for example. You can't really Google for how to articulate something you're feeling that you don't understand. And so it, it really kind of encouraged me to try and lean into these difficult, messy parts of my life, most of which is about parenting for me. And there's just a lot of material there. So I think it, it really helped me to understand, oh, this is other people are feeling this. It's helpful to have it reflected. And it's cathartic for me to write about it. It appeared to me at least that this was one of your most commented on posts, at least from what I could tell, and that the grand majority, if not all, were positive. Mm-hmm. I think so. 
This also right around when you came out with that post, if I remember correctly, you had just released your book or were about to release your book? So the book actually coincided with the birth of my second daughter. So that was in early 2018. So my daughter was born in mid-February and then the book came out, oh my gosh, early March, I think. So, you know, I was like two or three weeks postpartum, maybe two weeks postpartum and the book was published. So I would say to any aspiring writers or parents, if you can avoid having the birth of a child and the publication of the book within the same month, please do it. It is not, is not like your best case scenario to have those two things happening at once. Do not do that. So that was a difficult time. And that, and in retrospect, what I realized too, is that I had pretty severe postpartum depression, you know, immediately after her birth, but wasn't acknowledging it or diagnosed with it until that following summer, six months later. And so that was such an exhausting time. And it was a time when I felt like I could never be doing what I was supposed to be doing. Because if I was nursing the baby and focused on the baby, then I wasn't promoting the book. And if I was promoting the book, then I was away from the baby. And so she was being fed, you know, by grandma or my husband. And so that, that wasn't right. And so it was just this inner conflict that had no resolution. There was no possible good solution because I couldn't be in two places at once. And it was such an articulation of why this having it all trope is so false. You can have it all, but you can't, you cannot have it at once. You cannot give birth to a child and publish a book at the same time, which is what I tried to do. It worked, you know, it worked out fine. The kid is fine. The book is doing great, but it, but it's, I think we, I have to be more honest with myself about how much I can handle at any one time. And so we, my husband and I kind of coined 2019 as like the year of nothing happening. And it was so great. No one was pregnant. No one was born. No books were published. Like we didn't move because we had also, we had bought a house the week that our first daughter was born. So like clearly, clearly we have an issue with this. <laughs> like, I don't know. We have some sort of <laughs> mental block with needing to have children and then make like the biggest life changes. So 2019 was such a gorgeous year of being present and of nothing major happening. I did a, like a kind of reflection on 2019 in Instagram. And I was like, this was such a great year of nothing, of just enjoying this life that we've created. And 2020 was set up to be that as well. But then the coronavirus happened. So now I have you know, there's an interesting twist to 2020, but I, that, that was a, but 2018 was a very, this is a difficult year for us. And let's talk about the book a little bit. I've heard and seen nothing but positive feedback on your book, but there was a small amount of backlash. If I remember correctly, there was a small segment of people questioning your husband's work status and whether you had incomes. What was going on with that? Yeah, so I think this was an interesting point about the book, and it kind of made me recognize why I enjoy writing on the blog so much. Because in the blog, you will see the evolution of my thinking over the years. As I was speaking about earlier, I really love the ability to 
contradict myself in the blog and to say, you know what, I've changed my mind about this. Like I have, you can read two posts where one says we don't have 529s for our kids because I don't, I don't think they're a wise investment. Then a couple of years later, I'm like, we now have 529s for both of our kids because, and I think that that's great. That's what I love about the blogging platform is that I am able in real time to sort of share how we've changed and evolved over the years. And I keep saying change and evolve. So I need a synonym for that. But it, you know, I really like that platform. And when I get questions on posts, I respond to them. And then I try to incorporate those questions the next time I write about it. You know, because in my mind, like it's very clear because I know my own life, but sometimes it's not clear to people who are reading it. And so when they ask those clarifying questions, I say, oh yes, yes. So I've tried to explain our income streams more clearly since the publication of the book. And so the blog has done, I think, a good job of outlining that, that we have my husband works a W-2 job from home. I work as a writer and a blogger from home for Frugalwood. So I make money in that way. And then we have a rental property in Massachusetts. And so that's another income stream. And we do not make any money from the homestead. The homestead is like a money suck. I've tried to kind of like articulate this more more clearly because I understand there was, you know, some ambiguity and some confusion. What I've also tried to clarify is that we are financially independent. We are not retired early. So I've, I've written extensively about this, that, you know, we've taken the first half of fire, but not the second half. Initially, when we started this journey, you know, five or was it six years? Oh my gosh, I think it's six years ago. We thought that we would move to the country and quit our jobs and do like Airbnb or agro tourism on the farm as, as an income supplement. And then we got here and I was like, no way am I running an Airbnb. I'm not changing sheets and cleaning another house. I have a, I have friends here locally who do it and I kind of shadowed them and I was like, I'm out. I'm not, I'm, I'm not vacuuming another house. <laughs> and I, and the same thing with the agro tourism. Cause I have friends who do that. And I was like, I'm not like, I cannot teach people how to weed a garden every day. I, it's not what I want to do. And so recognizing that, I then realized, oh, I really like writing and I really like having a time of the day when I'm on my computer and I'm, I'm quiet and I'm thinking and I'm writing. And so that was a, a great realization for us. And we just kind of adjusted and adapted, you know, our plans as time went on and they're constantly in flux, you know, and I think it is this ability to be flexible that really makes either financial independence or retiring early tenable. I think it's very hard to say, okay, this is what the rest of my life is going to look like, you know, and to really shoehorn yourself in financially or otherwise, I think is dangerous. So for us, it's all about like having, you know, pretty good diversification with income, with investments, with real estate, and then tinkering along the way, you know, really taking time to reflect. And this is something that we do in our parenting, in our homesteading, in our marriage, what's working, what's not, and what can we change? And I, I think that's just a really valuable thing for people to do. And I do it with my writing all the time. And that's why I say like the early blog posts are written so badly because I've learned so much as a writer. And so I hope they're like better now, you know, and I think having that willingness to be vulnerable and to change is, to me is, makes it much more interesting than just like hammering a party line over and over over the years. And so, you know, I, I really enjoy the ability to write for the blog and to sort of chronicle 
and catalog the changes that we've made over the years. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. I have a confession to make. Money has been stressful to us lately. Look, we are in the midst of a house remodel. We are sending our first kid to college, and everything I thought I knew about budgeting has been out the window. The main savior for us has been Monarch Money. We started using Monarch Money about three months ago. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about our finances and our budget has changed, but we love Monarch Money because it's collaborative. We can both look at this together as well as share it with other people like a financial advisor if we want to. It's really aspirational. We can put information in there about, for instance, our kids' college education or about our remodel. And we can see where we need to go and where we are going. This is the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I love about Monarch Money is it's intuitive. It's really easy to sign on and connect all your bank accounts and credit cards. As we said, it's collaborative. It's also customizable. Like We were able to build in exactly what we wanted to do with our kids' college education as well as our home remodel. This is an app that is customer-focused. Really, Monarch Money is looking to make this app useful to you and me and all of us who are aspirational about our money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners to the show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. When you've described yourself, you have used the words multiple time, evolve, change, adaptability. And in fact, as per my introduction, that's one of the things I really enjoy about your writing and where I see both the vulnerability and strength. Is it hard when you have a platform like you do, as you are evolving and changing, it becomes obvious that there is a certain sub-segment or population that doesn't want you to adapt and change? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have an audience, anytime you have kids, a marriage, anything, 
you know, there are people who will want you to remain the same. I kind of think about it like when my, with my parents, you know, I'm 36 years old, but when I'm with my parents, they really want me to be a child again, you know? And, and sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's fun. Like, oh, you're bringing me a snack. I kind of like this, you know, but then they're telling me like, don't put your feet on the table. I'm like, it's my table. <laughs> so I, you know, I think it's kind of that, it's kind of that tension, but I do change. And I, I think, what has happened over the years with Frugal Woods is, you know, I've had people say, I wish you would write more about money like you used to, or people who've said, I love that you don't write as much about money. That was so boring to read. And so I think that, you know, I've really come to a place of having, I think, a pretty good blend of content. So I really try to not write about my kids in every post, even though I, I really could. And I try not to write about, you know, total market index funds in every post, even though I could. And so it's, it's kind of evolving and trying to figure out how I can help people while being true to what I want to write about. Because I think that first and foremost, I'm a writer. I think secondarily, I am somebody who likes personal finance. But you know, if I, if the blog was not about personal finance, it would probably be about something else. You know, I think there would be some sort of outlet for me with writing. And so it's trying to be honest about what I want to be doing, because it's also true that I do this because I enjoy it. And so I have, I don't know, hundreds of drafts of posts that I've started to write because I thought I should, and then been like, this is boring. I don't, I'm, I'm out. Like I'm not writing this. You know, and that's the beauty and the danger of working for yourself. So sometimes like there'll be a week where there's, where there's no posts published and people are like, what's happening? And I'm like, well, everything I wrote was really bad. So there's, and then I ran out of time. So there's nothing this week, but you know, just accepting that not every post is great and that there's a lot of unpublished drafts. Let's talk about this idea of the redo. One place that I've seen you change is your opinions of childcare. With Baby Woods, it sounded like it was very important for you to be at the stay-at-home mom and do all of the childcare yourself. You pivoted a little bit with Little Woods. What changed? Oh, I think I pivoted like entirely. What is it? 180? Because if you do 360, you're all the way back then around. Then you're back yes. in the same place. Yes. Then you're back in the same, which is, that's a great analogy for parenting. If, if you ever want to do the same thing every single day, have a kid. Having a second child, you know, with one, one kid and two parents is just a very different dynamic than the man on man situation of two kids, two parents. And our girls are just barely over two years apart. They're 27 months apart. And so, you know, there's a lot of like similar needs. You know, they were both in diapers for a little while. They were both napping for, you know, they both needed a lot of attention. I think if there was something like a five-year age gap, it would, I would probably have a very different experience, but we decided to batch cook the kids. And so, I mean, you know, I was getting older, like, so I, I'm very happy with their age spacing, but it did mean that we suddenly had, you know, basically two babies. I look back at the pictures of them when the the second child was born and I've got the two-year-old holding her and I'm like, oh my God, it's two babies, which at the time I, I really didn't realize, but developmentally and in terms of, again, what they needed from us, you know, not twins, not quite twins, but whoa. They ask me now, they're like, can we be twins? We want to be twins, mama. I'm like, you're not twins. You can't be twins. We can't like <laughs> retroactively make that happen. So I think having a second and then 
honestly, it also goes back to the postpartum depression because a good deal of my depression and anxiety, which by the way, I'm certain I had after my first daughter, I just had less burden on my time because I only had one so I could hide it better, was that I really felt like I had to be the perfect parent. And in a lot of my visualizations of the perfect parent, it was a parent staying at home full-time with the kids. And so I really pushed myself to do that with the first and did not, I do not enjoy it very much. And so with the second, you know, I pushed myself to do that for a while and then realized like, this is not, this is just not working. I need to do something else. And so my older daughter started preschool, like preschool daycare when the baby was born, which was a really good decision to have her go somewhere a couple mornings a week. And then this year we started part-time daycare for our second daughter while our older daughter went to preschool full-time. So I had like a two, two full work days every week prior to the pandemic and everything shut down. And then my plan had been for her to do full-time daycare and full-time preschool starting in the fall. I have no idea if that's happening. So interestingly, with the pandemic, my husband and I are now forced to re-examine this stay-at-home parenting thing because we do not have another choice. And what I realized is that we had so many options before. We don't have family in the area, but we have neighbors who would like come by and pick up the kids for a couple hours, like take them to the library or who would come. I have, you know, there's like this great little 12-year-old who would come and play with my girls in the yard. Like that's some fantastic childcare. And I don't, I don't have access to my community right now. And so, you know, it's my husband and it's me and it's two little girls. We don't have any family here. And so we've really come into a very nice balance right now with the pandemic. That being said, I'm like, please daycare preschool, call me. I'll be there tomorrow. I'm, 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 I'm going to be the first one in line, but we have tried. And I, I really credit my husband he's an engineer and he is very good at looking at a problem, breaking it down and figuring out what is the best solution given the resources we have. So we're splitting up the day right now. So he has the girls in the morning. I have them in the afternoon. And then we've actually figured out a way for each of us to exercise alone each day, which is so funny that eluded us before the pandemic. You know, we would each try to like exercise with the kids, which is like that you know, talk about something that does not work. <laughs> that does not work. So you can do it with an infant, but mm, 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 mm. I tried to do yoga with them the other day. And the, I mean, they were both on top of me on the yoga mat. I'm like, this is not what they mean by weight resistance. It's not, it's not what they mean. So we've actually come into in this month of pandemic, I really hesitate to use the word sustainable schedule because I don't want it to persist forever. But with like this ruthless prioritization and ruthless sort of like routine and systemization, we have figured it out. And what helps is that I only work part-time. That's kind of the crux of it, that my husband has a, has a full-time job, but he always worked from home. So he's always had flexibility and I have always worked part-time. So I'm able to shift and adjust. So I would say back to the original question that you asked like 35 minutes ago, I have definitely changed my mind on daycare and I am just so in favor of it and I love it. And I think, you know, for someone who kind of wants to do daycare but is not sure, visit a bunch of centers. You know, I have visited centers where I'm like, I can't, 
I, I can't wait to get out of here. This is so wrong for my family. And then I visited others where I'm like, here's my child. I'll see you later. You know a lot more than I do, you know? And like my daughter would just come home like, this is amazing. I love my teachers. I'm like, good, I'm glad. So I think finding a place that you're comfortable with, I will say that the lowest priority for me is the cost. You know, it's kind of like I'll spend whatever I need to to get high quality care that I feel is enriching for my kids. So yeah, I've totally changed my mind. I'm such a like happier, better parent because of it. That raises two questions in my mind. Let's start with the first one here. You mentioned during your publishing of the post about postpartum that you had some anxiety that morning when it was going to auto post in a different, maybe lesser way. Was there any anxiety about the post about childcare that maybe there'd be a backlash because you were moving away from what felt like maybe a basic principle of frugality and what your beginning message was? Mm, That's an interesting question. I don't think I've had time to reflect on that because there's no more daycare. So I think, yes, though, if I think back, I think there was some concern. At the same time, I, you know, being treated for a mental illness is, is like, is amazing because I'm so much more confident and content and fulfilled now. And I doubt myself so much less. And there's also an element of not caring. And for me, having anxiety for what I I think was probably close to a decade, not having anxiety is really great because I'm, I'm able to sort of articulate the feelings that I have, listen to criticism, listen to advice, but ultimately really feel confident in the choices that I'm making. And it really comes down to my family. Like, are my husband and I on the same page about this? Are our kids happy slash still alive? You know, and if it's yes, then like, I think we're doing pretty well. But with the childcare post, yes, I think you're right. I was concerned. And I think what I hopefully articulated in that is that it's about identifying your priorities. So, you know, I've talked about this before, not everything can be a priority, right? So I'm paying for daycare. I'm not buying a new car. I'm not buying, you know, new whatever furniture, you know, is really finding, okay, in this season of my life, where do I want to put this money? You know, what's going to deliver the highest return on my investment? What is going to make the biggest difference in my life? And so this is kind of where I come back to with this values-based spending and budgeting. Are you spending on the things that matter the most? And I would capitalize the and most. There are so many things that we can spend money on and I waste money like all the time. This is not, it's not as though like I don't do this. You can just look at my expense reports. Like I buy Cheetos. Okay. That is not, that is nobody's priority. Nobody's. So I think, you know, when you can feel confident and empowered to make these choices about your money and to be really ruthless with yourself and say, you know what? I don't need to buy X, Y, Z, but I do need to put money into childcare or whatever it is for you. And so that's why I, it all goes back to my mantra of tracking your spending. You've got to know where that money is going because how you spend your money really sculpts your life. And it really gives a picture of what matters to you. A moment ago, you said when it came to childcare, cost was your least concern. And I'm thinking of a reader of Frugal Woods back in 2014, and they'd probably be fairly surprised to hear you say that, yet your philosophy has evolved about value. And when you talk about depression, when you talk about having kids, 
it seems to come full circle. You've evolved, but mostly it sounds like you've evolved because of vulnerability, because you had a problem with mental illness that you never thought you had because you had children and realized that you needed a break and maybe some time to work on your career. Am I correct in saying that the vulnerability has helped you evolve your message and maybe even become stronger? Oh, absolutely. Without question. You know, I think rigidity and you could say strength and knowing the right answer is so appealing. And it's something that we all want to do. It would be really nice to, you know, sort of set forth a manifesto and then never deviate. But that's not the way that it works. If you want to be fulfilled, if you want to be content, if you want to have this sort of examined life. You know, I love the quote that an unexamined life is not worth living. And I kind of think that's true because if you cannot see what needs to change within yourself, then there's no way that you can sort of be helpful to other people or to your children. And showing this vulnerability helps me and it helps to reaffirm the choices I make. And I see it come across with parenting as well. I read, I think it was in Simplicity Parenting that you should apologize to your children when you do something wrong. And I started doing that. So I have a lot of opportunities to apologize. It's great. Like, you know, every day. And what I see is that my four-year-old now apologizes and my two-year-old will go, sigh, sigh. (laughs) She's trying to say sorry, but she also says that for, I forgive you. So I was a little confused, but you know, by modeling this vulnerability, by modeling the fact that mama is not always right, it really enfranchises my kids to say, my four-year-old to say, like, I did the wrong thing there. That was not the right thing, was it? Because it teaches her that people are not perfect. Parents are not perfect. And that's not how you go through life. You don't go through life being perfect. You go through life learning. And your experience also echoes mine in the sense that it seems like financial independence or having financial savvy, while it helps, will not protect you from these moments of vulnerability that they're going to happen no matter what. Totally. And I really like to recognize my privilege because I am so profoundly fortunate that I have the financial wherewithal and cushion to you know, not be panicked during this pandemic. It's an immense privilege to sort of be able to navel gaze and to be able to think about my life. You know, I have a roof over my head. You know, I think a lot about the hierarchy of needs. And I am so fortunate that my needs for, you know, for food, for security, for housing and shelter, those are met and they're met without even me needing to think about it or put effort into it. And so I feel so deeply privileged. And when I think about people who are, especially right now, at risk of losing their homes, being evicted, having their utilities turned off, that's terrifying. You know, and the level of toxic stress that that entails is awful. And when you think about the stress already of parenting, I parent under the best circumstances. And so I'm very mindful just of how fortunate I am and of how difficult it is when you have these compounding that so many people experience. I feel this is really a time of great vulnerability. And one of the reasons I really connected with your Uber Frugal Week is because it seems like it's a chance for people who are feeling very vulnerable right now to find a sense of strength. And I think that's important right now. I think we're all struggling with how do we survive this and come out at least the same, if not better than how we were before. So I think it's very important. And thank you for using your platform to be truly helpful. 
Oh, my pleasure. I hope it is helpful. And, you know, I encourage people to continue sending in questions that they have because the the great thing about blogging, I said this before, it evolves and changes as I go. I keep changing the outline for this week as I get feedback and input and as the, the situation shifts underneath us. And so, you know, if there are things that, that people are wondering about, they can feel free to ask me and I will really try to incorporate it at some point. This thing may go on for months, this Uber Frugal Week. I don't know. You know, it's like there's no real end in sight here. It might be Uber Frugal Month or Uber Frugal Year. Besides that, what's up next in your life and where can we find you? Well, I think what's up next in my life right now is that I need to take a shower and then take over parenting of my children. I think I'm really trying to, for the first time in my life, not think too hard about the future. We had tons of summer plans with grandparents coming to stay and cousins and visits and trips. And my husband and I were going to go on a little kid-free getaway, you know, and everything is on hold now. And so I'm, I'm really trying to be more present with my kids and to just accept that what I'm doing today is enough and is good. And I, I cannot plan. And I'm still, I'm so stressed out. Like is daycare starting in the fall? Is it starting? But I don't, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. So I'm trying to just focus on, on each day and, you know, really getting through it and also making it hopefully fun, maybe educational for my kids. So the, the focus has become very narrow for the first time ever and, and very limited. And I am trying to find a lot of liberation in that simplicity because there's a lot that I don't need to do and don't need to worry about. So I need to let go of my need to control the world and, and just focus on these two little kids in the house. In terms of what's next for me, from a professional standpoint, I will just continue to be writing at frugalwoods.com. You can also follow me on Instagram. I am at frugalwoods and I try to do sort of a daily reflection on how my day went there, which is usually like total chaos. So that is kind of my other platform. And then you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. It's at Frugal Woods. And if you want to share some ideas or questions that you have for the Uber Frugal Week series, the best way to do that is to leave a comment on a blog post on Frugal Woods. The message that you gave is so important right now. What I'm doing is enough. There's so much going on in the world. Sometimes we have to let go of our jaunted ideas of what we should be doing and just do what needs to get done. Liz Thames, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap. As you guys well know, last weekend was Father's Day weekend, and the truth of the matter is I tend to shy away from holidays such as this. Any holiday that celebrates me, whether it be Father's Day or my birthday, I don't really like the attention put on me. This was a strange weekend, though, and it started with kind of an auspicious beginning. On Friday night, my son was eating, and he started to choke. And this is not an abnormal thing in our household. He has a disease called eosinophilic esophagitis. Luckily, it doesn't affect his life too much. He's incredibly thin, but otherwise tends to do fine. But every six months or so, food gets stuck in his throat, and it causes a real problem. Well, this happened on Friday, 
the weekend of Father's Day, and my wife and I looked at each other, and we knew we had to take him to the emergency room because he couldn't swallow whatever was in his throat and his saliva was coming up. He wasn't in too much discomfort. This had happened before, so it wasn't like the most scary thing in the world. We had experienced this, but when it didn't resolve itself after 30 minutes, it was decided that I would take him to the emergency room. After all, I am the doctor. That's really a place that I'm comfortable with, and my wife would stay home with my daughter and hopefully we get this thing taken care of. So we went to the emergency room, and what's happened in the past when food has gotten stuck like this is usually there's a medicine called glucagon, and they give him a shot in his leg or his shoulder, and it makes him really nauseous, and eventually it relaxes the smooth muscle in his esophagus, the food passes, he's able to eat and drink, and everything is fine. This has happened multiple times, multiple emergency room visits, This time, however, the hours passed sitting in the emergency room, first in the waiting room, then waiting to see a doctor, then getting the medicine. It was getting towards 10 or 11 at night. It had been hours now, and he still wasn't able to swallow. So finally, we called the gastrointestinal doctor. That took another half an hour to come, and it was decided that he would emergently need to have a scope to go in and take out that little piece of food that was stuck. This had never happened before. He had gotten scopes before. That's how this disease was diagnosed. But never had he needed an emergent one. And this is in the backdrop of it being late at night. I'm exhausted. I'm alone with my son. And this is in the midst of the COVID pandemic. So everything's just a little more difficult. There's a little more isolation. You're being seen by less people. In fact, I don't think we were even seen by the nurse in the emergency room. We were seen by the doctor immediately and treated. So he was taken up to the operating room because that's where they do the scopes in the middle of the night. And they told me that I'd have to wait in the emergency room because they didn't even have staff in the waiting room up on that floor. So I went to sit in the waiting room. A nervous parent, but at least I knew what this procedure was. My son had gone through it before. And I waited for about a half an hour, and then they came and got me and said, oh, actually, we do have a place you can wait up there, and there's some consents that need to be signed. So I go up to the operating room on the third floor, meet with the anesthesiologist, and it turns out that because he has food stuck in his throat that they want to do full general anesthesia, which means intubating him and putting him on a ventilator, something that has never been done before. So this automatically caused me a little anxiety. But it's a really safe procedure, and I'm a doctor, and I know about all these things, and I trusted the gastroenterologist and the anesthesiologist, and so I signed the consents, and off he went, and they took me to the surgical waiting room, and it was, you know, 12 midnight, and in this time of COVID, there was no one there. In fact, the lights weren't even on, so I was sitting in the half-darkness by myself waiting for this procedure to be done. And the minutes passed, and then a half hour, and then an hour. The gastroenterologist told me he thought it would take 30 minutes at most, but nothing was happening, and I started to get antsy. And that's when I heard over the PA system, code blue, code blue. Now, being a doctor, I know exactly what that means. When you hear that in the hospital, it means that someone is coding, someone is deathly ill, and it's a call throughout the hospital for doctors to come and help. This, I have to say, made me a little bit nervous. And then it was followed up with third floor, room 3145. And I looked up because I was unfamiliar with that part of the hospital. And of course, we were on the third floor. 
And then over the PA system, take elevator G. And I looked over to the side, and there was elevator G down the hallway from me. And I panicked. Worried about my 15-year-old child who was undergoing general anesthesia having this emergent procedure done. And I was all by myself. No one there to talk to, no attendant to ask questions to, no other human soul in sight. In fact, the lights weren't even on. They were half off. So I was sitting in the darkness in this airy pavilion by myself. Another half hour passed. And then finally... Finally, the surgeon came out and told me everything was fine, the scope went well, and he's recovering. Apparently, that code had nothing to do with my son. It was already one o'clock in the morning. I was exhausted. And it really made me think about how this is a good metaphor. I think about how many of us are feeling right now. Sitting alone, isolated, afraid. For me, it was a health issue. For my son, for other people, it's COVID. For some, it's the recession and losing their job or shelter in place and sitting alone in their apartment, especially if you're single. Or for some, it's being a person of color and being afraid for yourself or your children, going out on the street, being afraid of the police, being afraid of society. This feeling of aloneness is all too common right now for all of us. And I'm not going to pander to you and say that community is some kind of elixir or that we're all going through this together or that it's going to be okay. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't know if it will. And I am just at the precipice of this suffering. My issue with my son was minor. I'm not facing COVID. I'm not facing joblessness. I'm not facing racial or sexual or gender discrimination on a regular basis. Heck, I've got it easy. But it makes me wonder what I can do. How can I make life better? Can I make life better? Maybe life is a series of difficult situations and we prevail sometimes and we falter others. And instead of fighting so hard against it, maybe acceptance is the right next step. Maybe accepting that I was helpless and my son needed something that I could provide. Maybe acceptance that there's this pandemic that I have no control over. Maybe acceptance that many people are losing their jobs and suffering. Maybe acceptance that human nature is ugly and at times racist and sexist and horrible. Now, Don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that I accept this behavior in our society. It doesn't mean that I won't do everything to protect my children, to help in the COVID pandemic, to provide support to those people who've lost their jobs, to stand up and fight racial, sexual, gender disparities and bias. It doesn't mean that I won't fight tooth and nail, but on some days... On some weekends, like this Father's Day weekend, I felt like it took most of my courage to just keep going, to put one step in front of the next, and to move forward. And maybe, maybe this weekend, 
That was enough for now. It was enough to make it through to fight another day. And so that's what I'm going to do. And once in a while, I might talk to you here about it. Once in a while, I may detail those things going on in my life. Maybe they'll help you. Maybe they won't. But this is where you can find me. On the Earn and Invest podcast. Yeah, it's, it's it's such an interesting. In some ways, I'm I'm still like noodling this over, but I need to write about it at some point. That I, in some ways, this pandemic is forcing us to live the life that we thought we wanted of yep. really being home and like, oh man, that vegetable garden. I am like all over that thing this year. Whereas in the past, like that's my husband's thing. I'm like, eh, I don't know. This year I'm like, okay, so this needs to go here. I need to weed these. Like I'm worried about these tomatoes. So it has really kind of forced me to look at what ma- what matters. It sounds so stupid, but um, yeah, it's, it's just such a... I would have had trouble so with this a few years ago, actually. Oh like, yeah, why? Well, when I, so I was one of those, you know, and we touched on it a touch in the podcast, but I was one of those people who really got blinded by the financials, right? Mm -hmm. And so like I set this mirage up of what was important and then getting to what was important made me realize that it was just a mirage, right? So if this had happened a few years ago, I don't know if I would have had the wherewithal to really put it together and say, well, what do I really want in life? I mean, now I'm a few years into it. I blog and write like you do. I podcast. Like I have a much better idea in my head through creating, through, you know, a blog is a daily diary from one way or another, especially if you really are a writer. I think you're you're, di- you're diarying your own thoughts, right? You're thinking, okay, what what's going on in my head? So for me, writing caused a lot of change as mm. I started to come to terms with trying to figure out, well, what really is my identity, right? So I don't identify mm-hmm. with being a doctor nearly as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. I now have the money to stop being a doctor, be it a lot less than I was before. So mm-hmm. if I was at this place three years ago, I think it would have been really tough. I think now I have a much better sense of identity and what my purpose is than I did back then. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.